Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. One of these days, we're really going to get a good microphone and do actually good quality podcasts, huh, Peyton? Right? <laughs> She's shaking her head yes and waking up. Ay, ay, ay. Well, good morning, guys. Okay, we're going to try and get through this book so we can move on to book number seven. And then we have, what, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. We have seven more books after this. All right. A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket, Book the Sixth, The Ersatz Elevator. Chapter 10. And one of the items that, that, and one of the items in the, ca- oh my gosh, hold on, let me just get one more drink of coffee, right Peyton? She mini Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And one of the items in the catalog listed as VFD, which is the secret that the quagmires tried to tell us about right before they were kidnapped, Klaus finished. This is terrible, Esme said, and took a snip of the parsley took a sip of the parsley soda that she had instead of pouring instead oh my god. Am I okay this morning? Yeah, yeah, I'm not. This is terrible, Esme said, and took a sip of the parsley soda she had insisted on pouring herself before the Baudelaire orphans could tell her everything that they had discovered. Then she insisted on settling herself on the innest couch on her favorite sitting room, in her favorite sitting room, and that the three children sit in three chairs grouped around her in a semicircle before they could relate the story of Gunther's true identity, the secret passage behind the elevator doors, the scheme to smuggle the quagmires out of the city, and the surprising appearance of those three mysterious initials as the description of Lot 50. The three siblings were pleased that their guardian had not dismissed their findings or argued with them about Gunther or the Quagmires or anything else, but instead had quietly and calmly listened to every detail. In fact, Esme was so quiet and calm that it was discon- disconcerting, a word here which means a warning that the Baudelaire children did not heed in time. This is the least smashing thing that I have ever heard, Esme said, taking another sip on her beverage of her beverage. Let me see if I understood everything you said. Gunther is, in fact, Count Olaf in disguise. Yes, Violet said. His boots are covering his tattoo and his monocle makes him scrunch up his face to hide his one eyebrow. And he has, the, he has hidden away the quagmires in a cage at the bottom of the elevator shaft, Esme said, putting her soda glass down on a nearby table. Yes, Klaus said. There's no elevator behind those doors. Somehow, Gunther removed it so that he could use the shaft as a secret passageway. And now, and now he's taken the quagmires out of the cage, no, Esme continued. It's because the elevators are out. I know, but he removed it. Nobody took them out. They were still there, but he actually physically removed it. Yeah. And now he's taken the quagmires out of the cage, Esme continued. And he's gone to smuggle them 
out of the city by hiding them in lot number 50 of the auction. Catrex, Sunny said, which meant you got it, Esme. <clears throat> this is certainly a complicated plot, Esme said. I'm surprised that young children such as yourself were able to figure it out, but I'm glad you did. She paused for a moment and removed a speck of dust from one of her fingernails. And now there's only one thing we can do. We'll rush right to the Veblen Hall and put a stop to this terrible scheme. We'll have Gunther arrested and the Quagmire set free. We'd better leave right this minute. <clears throat> for some reason, I don't trust her. What about you? I know exactly what she's going to say. Oh, no. Esme stood up and beckoned the children, beckoned to the children with a faint smile. The children followed her out of the sitting room past the 12 kitchens to the front door, exchanging puzzled glances. The guardian was right, of course, that they should go to Veblen Hall and expose Gunther at his treachery, but they couldn't help wondering why the city's sixth most important financial advisor was so calm when she said it. The children were so anxious about the quagmires as they felt if they were jumping out of their skin, but Esme led the Baudelaire's out of the penthouse as if they were going to the grocery store to purchase the whole wheat purchase whole wheat flour instead of rushing to an auction to stop a horrible crime. As she shut the door to the apartment and turned to the children again, the three siblings saw no sign of anxiousness on her face, and it was disconcerting. Klaus and I will take turns carrying you, Sunny, Violet said, lifting her sister up. That way, the trip down the stairs will be easier for you. Oh, we don't have to walk down all those stairs, Esme said. That's true, Klaus said. Sliding down the banister was much quicker. Esme put one arm around the children and began walking them from the door. It was nice to receive an affectionate gesture from their guardian, but... Her arm was wrapped around them so tightly that they could scarcely move, which was also disconcerting. We won't have to slide down the banisters either, she said. Well, then how will we get down from the penthouse, Violet asked. Esme stretched her other arm out and used one of her fingers to press the up button to the next to the, next to the sliding doors. This was the most disconcerting thing of all, but by now I'm sorry to say it was too late. We'll take the elevator. Ah, uh, you're scaring me, Peyton. Oh, my gosh. She said as the door slid open. And then one last time, she swept her arm forward and pushed the Baudelaire orphans into the darkness of the elevator shaft. <gasps> okay, look at Peyton. Two okay. pages of dark. Oh, my gosh. I'm scared. Sometimes words are not enough. There are some circumstances that are so utterly wretched I cannot describe them in a sentence or paragraph or even a whole series of books. And the terror and the woe that the Baudelaire orphans felt is one of those most dreadful circumstances that can be only represented in two pages of utter blackness. I have no words for the profound horror of the that the children felt as they tumbled into the darkness. I can think of no sentence to convey how loudly they screamed or has, how cold the air was when it whooshed around them was it, while they fell. And there is no paragraph I could possibly type that would, would enable you to imagine the frightened Baudelaire's as they were plunged as they plunged toward the certain doom. But I can tell you that they did not die. Not one hair on their heads had been harmed by the time the children finally stopped tumbling into darkness. They survived the fall from the top of the shaft for one simple reason that they hadn't <gasps> oh, that they had not reached the bottom. Something broke their fall. A phrase here which means the Baudelaire's plunge was stopped halfway between the sliding elevator doors and the metal cage where the quagmires had been locked up. 
Something broke their fall without injuring them, and though at first they felt like it was a miracle when the children understood that they were alive and no longer falling, they reached out with their hands and soon realized that it felt like more of a net. While the Baudelaire's were reading the catalog in the auction and telling Esme what they had learned, someone stretched a rope or net across the entire passageway, and it it was this net that had stopped the children from plunging to their doom. Far, far above the orphans was the squalor penthouse, and far, far below them was the cage of the tiny and filthy room with the hallway leading out of it. The Baudelaire orphans were trapped, but it is better to be trapped than to be dead, and the three children hugged each other. What if they have to go to the bathroom? Like, is there just a restroom down there? I don't know. Well, I'm just saying, like, if the quagmires were stuck in there, where, where did they go to the bathroom? Is a valid question. That's what I'm saying. Okay. In relief that something had broken their fall, Spinset, Sunny said in a voice hoarse from screaming. Yes, Sunny, Violet said, holding her close. We're alive. She sounded as if they were talking as she was talking as much to herself as to her sister. We're alive, Klaus said, hugging them both. We're alive and we're okay. Well, I wouldn't say you're okay, Esme's voice called down from the top of the passageway. Her voice echoed off the walls in the passageway, but the children could still hear her cruel words. You're alive, but you're definitely not okay. As soon as the auction is over, the quagmires are on their way out of the city. Gunther will come and get you, and I can guarantee that you three orphans will never be okay again. What a wonderful, profitable day. My former acting teacher finally got his hands on not on one, but two enormous fortunes. Your former acting teacher, Violet asked in horror. You mean you've known Gunther's true identity this entire time? Of course I did, Esme said. Just... I just had to fool you kids and my dim-witted husband into thinking that he was really an auctioneer. Luckily, I'm a smashing actress, so it was easy to trick you. So you've been working together with that terrible villain, Klaus called up up to her. How could you do that to us? He is not a terrible villain, Esme said. He is a genius. I instructed the doorman not to let you out of the penthouse until Gunther came and retrieved you. But Gunther convinced me that throwing you down here was a better idea, and he was right. Now, there's no way you'll make it to the auction and mess up our plans. <gasps> Zilsimen, Sunny shrieked. My sister is right, Violet cried. You're our guardian. You're supposed to be keeping us safe, not throwing us down an elevator shaft and stealing our fortune. Oh, but I want to steal from you, Esme said. I want to steal from you the way Beatrice stole from me. What are you talking about, Klaus said. You're already unbelievably wealthy. Why do you want more money? Because it's in, of course, Esme said. We toodle-oo children. Toodle-oo is the way of saying goodbye. Oh, she said, well, toodle-oo children. Toodle-oo is a way of saying goodbye to three bratty orphans you're never going to see again. Why, Violet cried. Why are you treating us so terribly? Esme's answer to this question was the cruelest of all. And like falling down an elevator shaft, there were no words for her reply. She merely laughed a rude laugh cackle about that bounced off the walls of the passageway and then faded into silence as their guardians walked away. The Baudelaire orphans looked at one another, or tried to look at one another in the darkness, and trembled in disgust and fear, shaking the net that had trapped them and saved them at the same time. Dealy, Sunny said miserably with her, and her siblings knew what she meant. What are we going to do? I don't know, Klaus said, but we've got to do something, and we've got to do it quickly. 
Violet agreed. And we've got to do it quickly, Violet agreed. But this is diff a very difficult situation. There's no use climbing up or down the walls. The walls felt, felt too smooth. And there's no use making a lot of noise and trying to get someone's attention, Klaus said. If anybody hears, they'll just think someone's yelling in one of the apartments. Violet closed her eyes and thought. Although it was it was so dark that she didn't really make it didn't really make a difference as if her eyes were closed or open. Klaus, maybe the time is right for you to start researching skills, she said after a moment. Can you think of some moment in history when people got out of a trap like this one? I don't think so, Klaus replied, replied sadly. In my myth of Hercules, he's trapped between two monsters named Sela and Sherebidus. Sherebidus. <laughs> just like we're trapped between two sliding doors in the floor. But he got out of the trap returning, turning, by turning them into whirlpools. Ugh, Lucas, Sonny said, which meant something like, but we can't do that. I know, Klaus said gloomily. Myths are often entertained, but they're never very helpful. Maybe it's time for a ripe time. Maybe the time is ripe for Violet's invention. But I don't have any materials to work with, Violet said, reaching out her hands to free the edges of the net. I can't use this net for an invention because it'll, if I start to tear it up, then we'll fall. The net seems to be attached to the wall with little metal pegs that stick into the wall, but I can't pull those out and use them either. Guys in, Sunny asked. Yes, Violet replied, pegs. Feel, right here, Sunny. Gunther probably used a stool or a long ladder to drive these pegs in, into the walls and into the passageway, and then strung the net across the pegs. I guess the walls of the elevator shaft are soft enough, but some sharp objects can be stuck into them. Thulk, Sunny asked, which meant, like teeth? And instantly, her sibling knew what she was thinking. No, Sunny, she said, you can't climb up the elevator shaft by using your teeth. It's too dangerous. get Sunny pointed out, which meant something like, but if I fall, I'll just fall back down into the net. But what if you get stuck halfway up? Klaus asked, or what if you lose a tooth? Vasta, Sunny said, which meant... I'll just have to risk it. It's our only hope. And her siblings reluctantly agreed. They did not like the idea of their baby sister climbing the sliding door to the ersatz elevator using her only teeth and using her only teeth, but they could not think of any other way to escape in time to foil Gunther's plan. But, but the time wasn't ripe for Violet's inventing seals or for the knowledge Klaus had from reading the time when he was, the time was ripe for sunny sharp teeth. Wait, for reading. But the time was sharp. Oh my gosh. But the time was ripe for sunny, sharp teeth. And the youngest Baudelaire tilted her head back and then swung forward, sticking one of her teeth into the wall with a rough sound that would make any dis dentist weep for hours. But the Baudelaire's were not dentists, and the three children listened closely in the darkness to hear if Sunny's tooth would stick as firmly as the net pegs. To their delight, they heard nothing, no scraping, no sliding, no crackling, or anything that would indicate that Sunny's teeth wouldn't hold. Sunny even shook her head a little bit to see if that was easy if it was easy to dislodge her tooth from the wall, but it remained it remained a firm tooth hold. Sunny swung her head slightly and embedded another tooth, slightly above the first one, and then the second tooth stuck. So Sunny carefully eased out of the first tooth instead of the instead and inserted it there once more on the wall slightly above the second tooth by spacing her teeth slightly apart sunny had moved a few inches up the wall and by the time she stuck her first tooth above the second one her little body was no longer touching the net good luck sunny violet said we're rooting for you 
Klaus said. Sunny didn't reply, but her siblings were not alarmed because they imagined it was difficult to say much when you had a mouthful of wall. So Violet, Klaus, and Violet and Klaus merely sat on their net and continued to call up encouragement to their baby sister. Had Sunny been able to climb and speak at the same time, she might have been able to say sorried, which meant something like, so far so good. Or yeah, which meant, I think I've reached the halfway point. But the two older Baudelaire's heard nothing but the sounds of her teeth inserting and detaching themselves in the dark until Sunny triumphantly called down the word, top. Oh, Sunny, Klaus cried, you did it, way to go. Violet, Violet called up, now get our makeshift rope from under the bed, and we'll climb up and join you. Canba, Sunny called back and crawled off. The two other siblings sat and waited in the darkness for a while, marveling at their sister's skills. I couldn't have climbed all the way up that passageway, Violet said. Not when I was Sunny's age. Me neither, Klaus said, although we both have regular-sized teeth. It's not just the size of her teeth, Violet said. It's the size of her courage and the size of her concern for her siblings. And... The size of trouble we're in, Klaus added, and the size of our guardian's treachery. I can't believe Esme was scheming together with Gunther this whole time. She's at Ursatz, she's an Ursatz her, at, wait, she's as Ursatz at her elevator. Esme's a pretty good actress, Violet said comfort, comfortingly, even, even though she's a terrible person. She had us completely fooled that Gunther had her completely fooled what she was talking about what was she talking about when she said ta-da sunny called from the ceiling doors the sliding doors she had the rope violet said excitingly tie it to the doorknob sunny using the devil's tongue no klaus said i have a better idea a better idea than climbing out of here well i want to climb out of here klaus said but i don't think we should climb up then we'll just be in the penthouse but from the penthouse violet said we can get to veblen hall we can even slide down the banister to save to save time but at the end of the banisters, Klaus said, is the lobby of the building. In the lobby, the doorman was, has strict instructions not to let us leave. Oh, I hadn't thought about him, Violet said. He always follows instructions. That's why we've got to leave 667 Dark Avenue another way, Klaus said. <gasps> Ditemu, Sunny called out, which meant something like, what other way is there? Down, Klaus said, in that tiny room at the bottom of the elevator shaft that has a hall a hallway leading out of it remember it's right next to the cage <gasps> that's true violet said that must be how gunther snatched the quagmires away before we could rescue them before we could rescue them but who knows where it leads well if gunther took out the quagmires if gunther took the quagmires down the hallway klaus said it must lead to somewhere near the veblen hall and that's precisely where we want to go you're right, Violet said. Sunny, forget about trying the rope or the doorknob. Someone might see us anyways and realize we've escaped. Just bring it down here. Do you think you can bite your way back down? Geronimo, Sunny cried, which meant something like, I don't need to bite my way back down. The youngest Baudelaire was right. She took a deep breath and threw herself down the dark passageway and the coil of the arsat's rope trailing behind her. This time she plunged the plunge did not need to be represented by pages of darkness because the terror of that long, long dark fall was alleviated. A word, the word alleviated here means not particularly on Sunny's mind because the youngest Baudelaire knew that the net and her, and her siblings were waiting for her at the bottom. With a thump, 
Sonny landed on the net, and with a slightly smaller thumb, the coil of rope landed next to her. After making sure that her sister was unharmed by the fall, Violet began tying one end of the rope to one end of the pegs in the, in the net's place. I'll make sure that the end of this rope is secured, Violet said. Sunny, if your teeth aren't too sore from the climb, use them to cut a hole in this net so we can climb through it. What can I do, Klaus said. You can pray this works, Violet said. But the Baudelaire sisters were so quick with their tasks that there was no time for even the short religious ceremony. In a, mat in a matter of moments, Violet had attached the rope to the peg with some complicated and powerful knots, and Sunny had cut a child-sized hole in the middle of the net. Violet dangled the rope down the hole, and the three children listened, listened until they heard the familiar clink of the ersatz rope against the metal cage. The Baudelaire orphans paused for a moment at the hole in the net and stared down at the blackness. I can't believe we're climbing down this passageway again, said Violet. <sighs> I, I know what you mean, Klaus said. If someone had asked me that day at the beach if I ever thought we'd be climbing up and down an empty elevator shaft with an attempt to rescue a pair of triplets, I would have said never in a million years. And now we're doing it for the fifth time in 24 hours. What happened to us? What led us to this awful place that we're staring at now? Misfortune, Violet said quietly. A terrible fire, Klaus said. Olaf, Sunny said decisively and began crawling down the rope. Klaus followed his sister down through the hole to the net and, and Violet followed Klaus and the three Baudelaire's made the long trek down to the bottom of the passageway until they reached the tiny, filthy room, the empty cage, and the hallway that they hoped would lead them to the auction. Sunny squinted at the rope, making making sure that her siblings had safely reached the bottom. Klaus squinted at the hallway, trying to see how long it was, or if it was even, if there was even anybody or anything lurking in it. And Violet squinted at the corner of the welding torches in the that the children had thrown in the corner when the time had not been ripe to use them. We should, we should take these with us, she said. But why, Klaus said. They've certainly cooled off a long time. Well, they have, Violet said, picking one up. And the tips are all bent from throwing them in the corner. But they still might come in handy for something. We don't know what we're going to encounter in the hallway. And I don't want to come up shorthanded. Here, Klaus, here's yours. And here's Sunny's. The younger Baudelaire's took the bent, cooled fire tongs. And then, sticking close to one another, all three children took their first few steps down the hallway. In utter darkness of this terrible place, the fire tongs seemed long, slender, like long, slender extensions of the Baudelaire hands instead of inventions that they were holding. But this was not what Violet had meant when she said she didn't want them to become shorthanded. Shorthanded here is a word that means unprepared. And Violet was thinking that the children alone in the dark hallway, thinking that the three children alone in a dark hallway holding fire tongs were perhaps a bit more prepared than three children alone in the dark hallway holding nothing at all. And I'm sorry to tell you that the eldest Baudelaire, Baudelaire was absolutely right. The three children couldn't afford to be short-handed at all not with the unfair advantage that was lurking at the end of their walk as they took one cautious step after another the Baudelaire orphans needed to be a long as long-handed as possible for the element of surprise that was waiting for them at the end of the dark hallway oh my god that's so scary okay are you asleep yeah she fell back asleep okay we gotta get up Peyton. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to wake up? It's a school day. I am awake. Okay, okay. <laughs>